Hi there, everybody. This is Armand DeMel with Julian Joyello and the Positive Mind here on WBAI. 99.5 FM on your dial. Bringing you ideas, concepts, and guests to help you lead a more positively-minded life. There are so many interesting subjects that we cover from day to day, week to week. Today, I want to talk about betrayal, the man. Um, today, I want to talk about betrayal. Betrayal is such an interesting word. It's such a funny word to betray. You know, double cross comes from, you should look up the etymology of double cross, where it comes from, the expression comes from. It comes from where you get two crosses indicate that you've deceived twice. We'll get to that. When you think of betrayal, what do you think of? You think of um, Jesus and Judas, right? Yeah, it was a big betrayal. You think about uh, Caesar and Brutus. Et tu, Brute? Or you think about infidelity. That's the big one. When we talk about betrayal, the big betrayal around town is infidelity. Why does infidelity take such a big toll on people? Well, there's a lot to learn about betrayal. And today, Julian and I are going to explore this with you. Let's start off with a concept. Lord, let's start off with, with a, an interesting story. Let's do the story of Jesus. According to one of the, um, the evangelists who told the story, Jesus Christ was at this Last Supper, and he said, Before the evening is over, one of you will betray me. Each of them looked around and said, Well, who's it going to be? I don't know. And Judas, being among them, had not yet been the betrayer. He said, the one to whom I give the bread, I'm going to dip my bread in your spaghetti sauce. or something like that. I'm going to dip it in your wine. He's going to just, he's going to dip his bread. And he goes over to Judas and he dips his bread in Judas's thing. And Judas becomes, he said, now go what you have to do. And this is according to scripture. Judas then goes and sees the Romans or whoever they were. And for 30 pieces of silver, he says, I... I know Jesus is going to be down at the luncheonette next week. You can pick him up there, right, or whatever he does to betray him. And then they, and they, according to the scripture, what happened to Judas at the moment that Jesus dipped his bread is that that Judas was possessed by the devil. Now the devil is the one who sent the Romans to come and get Jesus, and then they came and they got Jesus and they hung him up on the cross. But Judas. When he found out what he had done, felt possessed. He said, I, I, I don't know what happened to me. I don't know what made me do it. He tried to give back the money, and they wouldn't take the silver. He, realizing that he had been the, the instrument of this, hung himself, and he killed himself. He died before Jesus did. Now, this is a funny story, if you think about this. That means that Judas didn't know he was betraying uh, Jesus beforehand. That means that Judas somehow betrayed without knowing he betrayed. How many of us do that? How many of us betray without even knowing we're betraying? 
And then, of course, he felt so guilt-ridden he couldn't do anything about it. Which reminds me of something in called magical responsibility. So now let's take it away from Jesus and Jews for a moment. And let's say, so who is in charge of betrayal? Is it the betrayer? Does the betrayee have anything to do with it? And is the word betray such a big word, such a huge word, that it means criminality? We have to look at this. What would Jesus have done had nobody betrayed him? You know, what a dessert. What would he have done? The betrayal was an important part of the entire religion. An entire culture was built on the fact that he was crucified, died, and came back from the death. And he died for the, for the sins of mankind, according to this. So this whole thing was like very important. Betrayal was an important part of this whole evolution of an entire religion that now, you know, rules the earth in some way. So when you think about betrayal, you think about, hey, hey, how did I betray? Now, Chris Hedges, uh, one of the many remarkable things that Chris Hedges did, did a thing about war. He was talking about war, and he said, you know, another one of the big betrayals that we have is this whole concept of war. Let me play you a small part of this. Thank you. As you heard tonight from many of those who gave testimony, war is about betrayal, betrayal of the young by the old, betrayal of soldiers and marines by politicians, and the betrayal of idealists by cynics. The cost of this betrayal, I think, was evident in the testimonies that you heard. It is a betrayal that brings with it deep physical and psychological pain that never goes away. It is for those who become conscious an existential crisis. Betrayal is. War is a betrayal. War never is what it seems to be. War is something waged by the wealthy using the poor so that they could get one or add in some way to their coffers. War is, is a ridiculous betrayal to be involved in it. So what do you do when you're a soldier, when you're a young soldier, and you're looking at things like uh, you're trying to figure out how you're going to get a job and you can't get a job, and you're looking around and here's the military and you say, I'll fight for my country. And then you wind up going to Afghanistan or you go to Iraq and you wind up killing little babies. And you carry that with you and you have this trauma going through your body that this is what I did. Now, so where is this betrayal? You haven't betrayed your country. You honored your country. But who have you betrayed? I say that all betrayal 
is about betrayal of the self. We're going to go into that in some detail. But he did mention, Chris Hedges did mention betrayal of the youth. And war is, in many ways, betrayal of the youth. And, Armand, there's also um, a sense of betrayal that, that my generation feels in, in a sense that we get these promises and guidelines that we've followed for years, and we, were, we weren't the banner-raising, challenging the system generation. We were the people that didn't lay in front of tanks. We're not that people. We're, we're the digital age, right? But we figure that we can get rich, we can succeed, and then somehow do something with that money later. So money became the object rather than just immediate power. You decided we're not going to confront you that way. What we're going to do is be successful, use our skills, and accumulate money. So most of your generation, Julian, is about let's get some bucks. Right. I'll become a doctor, a lawyer, or an artist of some kind, get some financial power, start my own business. So later, once I have the money, I can change the world through that without putting a gun in my face or, or meditating in front of a tank. Until you get the money and you realize that if you do something that's proactive, such as open a homeless shelter in your neighborhood, it's going to devalue your neighborhood and you have to consider, well, what's it going to do to my property values? And then you become of that of the next generation. And then you've just moved. You've just moved, right? You moved across. But ideally, Julian, most of the guys who you're with and most of the students that you're with, and they... they they struggle with this. They fight with this in many ways. How do, they, how do they deal with the fact that they feel that their ideas just didn't work? Well, we've become... I mean, you've been successful. You've, you're, 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 I mean, uh, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I'm among few youths, young adults, that it works out. But we are avoidant of things. We, we hide behind our screens, right? We've got our phone and our tablet and our computer and Facebook and text messages. I mean, I, I know people that have broken up with people over text. It's amazing. This you know, is if... so confrontational, uh, avoiding confrontation, that we will actually send a digital message to somebody to end a relationship that's been over a year long. Wow. Imagine that. You could have a relationship with somebody and you break up with them by text. That's it. And then when they call you, I guess you don't answer. I mean, you ignore it or, you know. You, you can actually block it, it, can't you? You can block that, that number. You can turn your phone off. And it's a different way of doing it. And it's a different way of doing it. It's this, it's this, it's avoiding. But at the same time, it's not, we're confrontational in a different sense. You know, you say it's avoiding, but if you think about it, and we think about it as a generational evolution, we say, you know, okay, well, who said the other way was right? Who said confronting somebody was right? You know, maybe this is the way it should be, you know, and, and I remember the, we used to have a myth, it's not true, but we used to believe that in Sweden, you had to uh, renew your marriage license every year, and the way you renew it is with a postcard. And we believe this. I mean, I mean, they told us that if you don't mail in the postcard, you're divorced. So this was a great idea because now all you have to do is have your postcard.
All you have to do is get. You got a text somebody breaking up with me. Somebody's breaking up with me. So, so the, the the whole idea here is that if you have a, um, that if you if you, that they may not be wrong. This may be the next way of doing it. Your generation has a way of doing things that I don't understand because I'm stuck in an old way about confrontation. But yours is confrontative. It's just electronically. At the same time, it's almost more powerful in in another way. It's it's somebody on Twitter with twenty million followers can say ten words, and twenty million people will hear it immediately. Wow. The other thing too is you discover that your boyfriend is on his Facebook with somebody else, and that's a different form of betrayal. <laughs> right. There. Right. But that's or that they go on your Facebook. That's a betrayal too. Of privacy. What distinguishes betrayal from other violations of trust is the perspective of the betrayer towards the relationship of trust and the distorted quality of the relationship itself. The betrayer versus the betrayee. You think about it. What is it like to be someone who knows that you have an assumed trust? The assumed trust is uh, for the rest of our lives, I trust you, you're not going to take my money, you're not going to cheat on me. And then you look at it and you say, man, this doesn't really work, I'm not happy with this. So I'm going to gamble away your money, or, and I'm not going to let you know about it, or I'm going to cheat on you, you're going to have somebody else, and I'm not going to tell you about it. Well, what happens to the mind of the betrayer? We like to think of them as bad people, but their mind gets possessed. The relationship is the medium through which a betrayer creates an effect or obtains a prize. The betrayer is engaged in the relationship. Its healthy existence is vital to the successful completion of the effect. A betrayer cannot stand aloof. He must know and manipulate his medium. If you're going to betray someone, you've got to constantly keep the balls in the air. You know, you should pardon the expression. You, you, you really have to keep things moving. Because if you don't keep them moving, if you don't cover your lies, you could get caught out. So now we have two roles here, the betrayer and the betrayee. We're trying to make one really wrong, but let's think about betrayal itself. The biggest betrayal that takes place, the biggest one, is unlike your generation, Julian, mm -hmm. is where we betray ourselves. You see, I think, I think your, your gang followed what they thought was right. Okay, this is right. Let's just do it. We're kids. We're growing up. When you're a child... If your parents say the world Santa Claus is there, you say, well, there's Santa Claus. Of course there is. Why should you doubt it? You're being told by those in charge that something exists. Right. Later in life, you learn that everything they say is not true. Then you begin to doubt. But why would you necessarily have to doubt? Couldn't you just have trust? The answer is that we learn as we're growing up that part of our maturation is that our parents need to teach us not to trust what they say. Part of your adulthood is to challenge them. 
when they say you can't go out there, it's too dangerous, and you say, I'm going out there, you have in some way defied them and you have matured. Part of natural maturation is perceiving that that which is told to you is not true. Now, some people instead choose to believe that whatever is told to them is true. Why would I do that? If I look at you and you fall madly in love with me and you're really after my money, for example, but you're saying, oh, you're the most handsome person in the world, why do I want to believe that you find me that attractive? Why do I want to believe that that's what it's all about? I want to believe it because I need to believe it. Now, who's betraying who here? Are you betraying me by lying to me and telling me that you're in love with me? Or am I betraying myself by choosing you to have you betray me? In almost every case of betrayal, it is a choice by the betrayee to have been betrayed. This is tough news. Because if you go to the courtrooms, and if you, go to, if you go to where it is that this takes place, especially in divorce course, court, they'd hang you up for saying such a thing. I mean, how could I be responsible for being betrayed? How could I be responsible for my husband cheating on me? How could I be? I trusted him. Well, you may have trusted him, but didn't he have a history of doing this before? Doesn't he have a history of cheating people? Doesn't your husband like the fact that every now and then he could get away with not paying a bill? That he could pull a little scam off somewhere? What about all those little scams that he's so proud of having done? What about the fact that he got three cans of soup instead of two for the price of two? And that he really ripped it off. He really didn't tell the person. What about all those little things that you saw where you said deception, 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 and you thought those were cute? Why would you then think this deception could never happen to me? You see, there's a piece of us that likes to build our story. It is devastating when you, as a betrayee, build a life around a story that's not true. You marry a man, this man is supposed to be fantastic and faithful to you. He's been a ladies' man before. In fact, when you met him, he was married. And you had an affair with him. And then he left his wife and he married you. And the most shocking thing in the world is for you to find out that while he's married to you, he's having an affair with somebody else. But why is that so shocking? This is what he does. This is it. This is the being. But you build your life like you build a dollhouse. And you say, all is wonderful, all is beautiful, all is fine, everything is great. And then you find out that one day you come home and you catch him with somebody else. And your whole world falls apart. Your entire structure, everything you believe in falls apart. The trauma that people who have been betrayed who are the people who have betrayed themselves, suffer, is so big, it borders on PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. When we, here at the Institute, see people who are recovering from a deception discovered 
from their mate. We know that they were a person who built a fantasy life, a life that was so incredible to hide from any possible truth. And that what happened was the person who betrayed them, supposedly, broke through and said, oh no, your entire belief is wrong. There is probably no more horrendous feeling than having the rug pulled out from under you in that way. It is just terrible. It just, it just knocks you out. When you overhear a friend said something about you you didn't like them to say, when you have somebody who's, uh, who in some way cheats on you, takes your money, does something, betrays you, there's no more horrible feeling. If you have underneath your own belief system that, um, that this is one reality, but you're not living by the reality. This is Armand DeMille with you with The Positive Mind. We're going to be taking your calls about betrayal. And of course, it is easy to blame the other guy. It's a breeze. Our job here is to look at ourselves. 212-957-2729 is our number. 212-957-2729. In your... Well, let me ask you. Now I'm going to go back to you, Julian. I want to have a question sure. about you and your friends. <clears throat> If somebody lies to you, if somebody presents themselves in a certain way to you, do you automatically assume it may or may not be true? What's, what's the assumption when somebody says... You trust. You, it's a basic trust. It's a basic trust, yeah. It starts off with a trust? I think so. Starts off with a trust and then goes to... And then they prove themselves to be a little bit of a, a not-truth teller. Right. What happens if you discover that somebody is not telling the truth. You begin to question everything you've done with them. Any kind of, is it all real or is this all some sort of facade they've set up? And what if it is a facade that they've set up? Are they still an okay person? Hmm. Interesting question, isn't it? Are they still okay? See, I suspect that in your world, there are some people who don't want to present themselves and other people who do. And some people present themselves falsely. There are people who present themselves entirely through a fabricated image online. Online, I mean, exactly. I mean, I, can, I know people I've had conversations with online that I've never met in person, right? Or I've met once. And I get to know them in this place on Facebook Messenger or something like that. And I see these pictures that they've chosen and placed there for me to observe of them that they've kind of put in this gallery for you. And I finally meet them and they're nothing like that. And I realize that I've been manipulated. But I still like that person that they created for me. <laughs> so you like that's, the person that's, they, the that's nice, right? Sure. You could create somebody good. I mean, what they, they created a really great person, very interesting, very intelligent, very thoughtful. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, Julian, since our audience has grown up on you, or you've grown up with our audience in many ways, they should be able to see your, book, your page, which, uh, which is great because it talks about the Carrie Diaries. <laughs> so they, yes. do they look under your leg? It's Julian. It's Julian, G-I-U-L-L-I-A-N. Yeah, and it's Julian with a G. 
with a G, and mm -hmm. the last name is... Joyello, another very vowelful last name. A vowelful name. Yeah, vowelful. G-I-O-I-E-L-L-O. G-I-O-I-E-L-L-O, -L -L -O, right? Yeah. I have the same uh, last name somewhere in my history. Yes, you do. Right, we share that in family. Julian Joyello. Hey, listen, 212-957-2729. We do have a call about this, and we're going to be talking a lot more about betrayal. This is Armand DeMille. Hi, you're on the air. Oh, Armand, let me turn off my radio. Thank you very much. Sure. Um, Armand, my friends are laughing. I'm telling them a joke about the uh, the guy with the wigwam, or I'm a TP. No, you're too tense. <laughs> May I tell you sort of something like that, a little sick? Uh, Jesus goes into a hotel he goes to the clerk, and he puts uh, three nails on the desk, and he says, can you put me up for the night? <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a bad one. Armand, this, uh, I've noticed, sadly, I'm divorced, and I noticed that my ex-wife wouldn't look at me and talk to me, and uh, when we were kids, remember in the schoolyard or school Did she or feel like that you betrayed her? Pardon me? Did your wife feel that you betrayed her? Uh, she's hung up on her father. Okay, so, now this is, I could see where you're going with this, right? So you're going to make her wrong because oh no, of her neurosis. Did she feel that she, does she feel that you betrayed her in some way? Did she have oh, expectations? Absolutely. It's got to be in there. She I, had I, expectations of you. Oh, big time. And what did she expect you to do? Be more successful? What did I, she expect I, of you? What did she want that she didn't get? Uh, a, a suit and a tie, riding the railroad on the train every day. She wanted you to be somebody more dedicated. She to, wanted me to be her father. She wanted me. Well, to forget be like that her part for a minute. Let's just forget it for a moment because I want to just go to the facts, Jack. Hey, you remember that? I just want the facts. Julian wouldn't have any idea what we're talking about. Okay, uh, this was from an old TV show, Julian. Uh, so, so the fact is. That sometimes your ex had a, an expectation that you would follow a certain regimen that would make her feel safe in life. And she didn't feel safe. That's not your fault. But she built in her mind the image that you would make her feel safe. And then when she said, he's not going to do it, he doesn't want to follow that rule, she quit. That's the way it worked. Well, that doesn't make you wrong for betraying her, but she betrayed herself into hoping that you would change. Armand, I'm a big fan, and this is really good, but uh, it's all way in the past, and it's gentle and forgiving and all that, but uh, I was just on the radio today, I mean, listening to the radio today while I was just online, and one of my friends came to me crying that her boyfriend was cheating on her with her best friend. And I said, wait a second, he's a married guy he's cheating on his wife, he's cheating on you. So here I'm with, I'm, I'm new to the computer, so I'm trying to figure out, maybe your, is it your nephew is with you? Maybe he could help me. I'm trying to figure out, she wants to find out, this is interesting, she wants to go online to see if she can find him on the dating, on the dating sites. And she has, she has no, she wants to find out if he's available, if he's got his name out there on the dating site somewhere? So to give her a little closure, she can move on. I said, look, this is a married guy. If he's cheating on his wife, he's cheating on you. Mm -hmm. And I also uh, thought maybe that your nephew, uh, I'm one of these dinosaurs. I'm probably old enough to be his father, too. But 
if if there's any way, maybe I could start a new website with that. You know, find <laughs> do they have a cheat? Find out. If, just... Find out if he's cheating, right? I am sure, Julian. Is there such a thing that you know of? Is, has somebody come up with a find out if he's cheating website? Like where where has he got himself on the internet? I guess if you search anybody's you name, can probably you'll find it. Search an aggregate like a search engine that that looks through all the different ones. I'm sure you could if you know their username of of their oh, email or something that's like right, that. You can look can... up their email. They usually use the same one. That's right because oh. they, they they sometimes change their names. Yeah, to protect they've got the their their internet pseudonym. Yeah, well, listen, listen, I, I wish we could, but, it, you know, nowadays it's so easy to just put a name in Google and you got it. Well, we're we're going to have to be going because we got to... so generous, and all the best for the new year. Thank yeah, you for your you time. Too. Thank, Thank you. you. Right. Armand Mill here with you. So the tendency is to blame, and the tendency is so strong to blame because we want to keep the enemy outside of us. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, a little music... And then we will continue with our discussion and our phone calls at 212-957-2729. We'll be back with you in a couple of minutes.
Armand DeMille here with you with Julian Joyello, the positive mind, WBAI 99.5 FM in your dial in New York City. Terry, you're going to have to stick with us. We're going to take your call next, but we have to uh, we have to include some other pieces in here that are very important. One of the great obstacles to healing and growth following an intimate betrayal, after an abuse, an infidelity, a deceit, is guilt. Now, guilt is an uncomfortable and often painful feeling that comes from the belief or impression that you violated a personal standard through specific thought or behavior. Now, the trouble with this guilt, it is very often felt by the person who was betrayed. That's a fascinating thing. Organically, it kind of works. Most anthropologists agree that early humans would not have survived without strong emotional bonds that made them cooperate in food gathering and territorial defense. But they had to cooperate, different than most animals. Instead of killing the other guy for wanting what's yours, you had to kind of say to yourself, was I meant to share this? Modern humans are endowed with highly developed, pre-verbal, pre-rational, automatic emotional inhibitions and reactions to behaviors so that they could get through betrayals. You know, you don't want to be killing somebody just because they betrayed you. Guilt becomes a sense that we have on us that holds us in place. And it's the strangest thing. There's a shame that comes over the person who is betrayed that they don't talk about because what they do instead is they blame the other person and they get angry. When we get them, when we get them and we start to work with them, when we see somebody who's got the prolonged effects, negative effects of having been in that kind of a situation, we try to get to the shame that's underneath it. Now, what is the shame that lays underneath being betrayed? Here's where it gets a little complex. The shame is that you betrayed yourself. You knew it all along. You just didn't want to recognize it. You sold yourself out. Oh, my God, blaming the person who is the victim. That's what it sounds like. But we're not really blaming you. We're inviting you to meet yourself and to see, yes, this is what you chose the last time. And the next time, you're not going to choose it the same way. Let's take Terry. Hi, Terry. You're on the air. This is Armand DeMille. Hey, Armand. Hey, Terry. I have to tell you, you always give us a lot to think about. That's for I'm sure. <laughs> you can't imagine what it's like waking up every morning saying, what will we do today? And so having done this now, get this, for 35 years, over 5,000 programs, wow. we come up with ideas. What a, what a mind. What a nice thing. And people like you who throw the ideas towards me. Well, it's, it's incredible because you're bringing up a subject that... I don't know. I feel I've been surrounded by, and yet... A lot of betrayal in your family? Yeah, and so now it's sort of like I'm looking at it slightly differently than I ever have. It just, you know... Good, give me a show, good example of it. Let's look at it. Let's look at it with your mother and father. Okay. Well, my mother and father really weren't... That's not really where the betrayal came in. I My, my mother died when I was maybe about... 19 or 20 years old and her sisters and brothers you know it's kind of funny i don't think i'm alone in this 
But when you're older, maybe it doesn't affect you as deeply. But when you're younger and you have relatives that you look up to, and all of a sudden they start fighting over money that doesn't even belong to them. It's one of the worst. You know, and even worse than that, when somebody dies and there's a will, oh my gosh, what people do to each other. It's terrible. Sisters against brothers against... It's strange. My grandmother died at the same time, and, and she had a will, and, and the family changed her will on her deathbed at the last day. Like, and but I'm not alone. I've heard a, like a million stories like this. But it's very strange because I can tell you, I grew up with an aunt that my grandmother idolized, that my family idolized, that thought she was the best thing. I, I kind of look at her now and think maybe she was um, narcissistic. Definitely narcissistic, but maybe something even more. I, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist, but what I can tell you is she get, creates this amazing image to the world, and you would think she's the nicest, sweetest woman you've ever met. But you know what? I've learned, you know, even though I learned this late in life, a lot of the awful things that happened to me from her son and her husband and things, and she actually set all that up. She you had know? some ta- some part to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, but you wouldn't think it. No, you wouldn't think it. And Usually, you can't, a psychologist wouldn't believe it if they met her. Sure, like, and that's a signifier. This, this this happens frequently, and it happens frequently because there's a passive aggressive person who could be like your grandmother, and 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 then you could have all the people acting out the aggression around her, and you wonder how come everybody's this mean person and she's so nice, and then you look and there she is, the source. That's interesting, but you feel betrayed. Right? Because you believed she was so wonderful, too. Well, you see, here we go again. You needed to believe that she was wonderful because she wasn't. You see, she was wearing a mask, and you chose to to pay attention to the smile because as a child, you lost your mother. And when you lost your mother, you looked for somebody else to trust and love. So you blinded yourself to her machinations. If you had the presence in your early life of a loving young mother, right, who loved you completely, you may not have had those cataracts. You may not have had those blinders. You may have exposed her a lot sooner. But the reason she had the power to hurt you is because you had such a strong need to fill that gap. Does that make sense, Terry? It does and it doesn't, because I'll tell you... You know, to speak to any other family members or any other people, she's like almost the queen. Like, people yeah. would think she's so wonderful. Sure. It's so weird. I, I, I so let me ask you words, something. How did yeah, you ever, how did you ever deal with your mother's lo- the loss of your mother? Well, my mother died. It was kind of uh, unexpected. She had an aneurysm. Yeah. And so when she died, I had a 16-year-old sister at the time. I was pregnant, and I was in, in just getting married at that time. And... So my mother died, my grandmother died six months after her. And when my mother was, after my mother died, my grandmother kind of flipped out. So I tried Terry, what was hard. it like? What was it like when your mother died? What did you feel like? Um, it was weird. I didn't have a chance to really feel sad. That's right. I could hear it. So, so you've never really been through the grieving, have you? Well, I don't know. I know that. I know that when she died, there were so many fights over money, over mm-hmm. this. And my grandmother had 
like fallen so far with what was going because her I guess her daughter died. So that's one of the things, Terry. One of the things that go on. One of the things that people do, and part of the reason they have these conflicts is to avoid the pain. Your mother's death was a huge pain, and everybody ab- avoided the emotionality by getting involved in things like territory and process and who's going to keep the jewelry and stuff like that. I say to you somewhere inside that always has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with because it takes its toll. And when, it, when you don't deal with it, eventually ghosts appear. And the ghosts appear creating terrible things. They all come from the denial of the original pain. You're a beautiful person. Thank you for calling in, Terry, and thank you for listening to this program as religiously as you do. Thank you so much, Armand. Have my, a nice day. My pleasure. Thank okay. you. Two one two nine five seven two seven two nine. Now you see, there there gets a good point that there becomes a vacuum gets created when you have a need as a child. If you have a child and something happens and a vacuum is created, the person who steps into that vacuum becomes the person who... um, The person who steps into that vacuum becomes the person that you idealize. You idealize them and then you idealize anybody who looks like them, smells like them, or tastes like them. What do we want? What are we looking for? We are looking to be loved. Mostly, we sell ourselves out. We betray ourselves for the sense that we are safe. So love is not a good enough word. I'll start with this. I am a child, and I want to feel safe. I will feel safe if I know you love me. I need someone to love me in such a way that they want to protect me. So in order for me to get somebody to love me, to protect me, I will behave in certain ways and I will believe that my behaviors are acceptable. So now I choose you, whoever you are, and I ask you, would you please love me? I'll behave in certain ways and you, and I'll believe certain things that you say and I'll treat you a certain way to make everything okay. All I want you to do is care for me because I want to feel safe. And I'll sell anything. I'll sell my soul to get that from you. And then all of a sudden you turn around and you say, whatever you think I was, I'm not. Instead, let me show you I'm somebody who wants to take care of himself or herself. And then I get crushed. All I wanted to do was be loved. If you look at somebody who is suffering from a marital betrayal, what they call a betrayal, you'll see somebody who is dejected by their desire, their strong desire to try to manipulate the world so that they can feel safe. The bigger reaction that someone has from a betrayal, the bigger it shows you the underlying disturbance that was there originally. 212-957-2729. Catherine, we have you on the line. Hi there, this is Armand DeMille. Hi, Armand. Hello, Catherine. Hi, um, you're describing my life story. So to um, quickly respond to what you were saying about the parents, my father died um, when I was 10, and he was like the safe person in the house that I could depend on, Mm. Um, you know, just the mentally safe, stable, non-manipulative parent. And so I learned to manipulate and to be loved through my mother, and then that's transferred, I believe, to my short married life. where I, again, just tried to use those tools to get to be loved. Yeah. And uh, 
the image-driven stuff that you were talking about earlier I related to. And I wanted to add something in regard to, um, because I didn't get the, the love from my mother that I needed, I think that I thought I, I could change my marital partner, but still it was in turn that if I could help them or heal them, then they would in turn love me the way I needed mm -hmm. to be loved. And that's something I've uh, been coming to terms with lately. Catherine, you sound like an awfully brave person. See, you look at yourself a great deal, even though sometimes the enemy is right at your gates, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. I could hear. I could hear. How are your babies? They're good. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they're good. If I stay aware, they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, if you stay aware, they'll be fine. Now listen, okay. wouldn't that have been nice? This is what Catherine just said. I said, how are your babies... She said, if I stay aware, they will be fine. <laughs> Don't we wish all the mothers would be saying that? Yeah. If I stay aware, the baby will be fine. Catherine, thank you. Thank you for calling okay. in. Thank you, Armand. Sure. Okay. Conscious mothers. Now, briefly describe an event in your past that triggered your anger and resentment. So then you say you get angry, right? But at the same time, what do you feel guilty about? Simultaneously. At the same time as you get angry, is there a shame or a guilt that you feel? And you'll find, if you look for it, it's there. 212-957-2729. Let's take Marie, who's on the line. Hi there, Marie. Thank you very much. I'm just lowering the radio. Um, I tuned in when you were speaking to Terry, who was two people back. Uh, she said her mother had passed away at an early right. age, and the grandmother passed away. Sure. I missed the beginning part. But when she was describing whoever this person was in her life, very manipulative, and people who had difficulties in her family, eventually they realized it was kind of set up by that person. Um, so we have a similar situation here. And my question to you was, in dealing with that person who sets up these situations and is not kind of hard to anyone in their life, here's the question. Does that person feel a need to feel safe? And is there anything that people around them can do to kind of get them off that merry-go-round? So you're saying between the betrayer and the betrayed? Yeah. Does the betrayer need to feel safe? Is that why they're dancing so much? Are oh. they trying to be loved? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's exactly what you're saying, Marie. Mm, mm, mm. Now, they're trying to be loved. Now, here's what you do. Now, imagine this is, this is you could deal with this with addiction as well. Whenever you see addiction, it's the same question. Is there an issue of trying to be loved? What can you do to love someone who is going to constantly, in some way, deceive the world? What do you do? Do you love them for who they are? Well, in order to love them for who they are, you've got to do two things. One thing for sure is you've got to not bet your life on them. You've got to not trust them with your purse. You have to in some way say to yourself, whatever happens, it's part of this person. Number one. Number two, how could I care for this person as they are? It's a little like being with a child who has, you know, an irate temper. Mm -hmm. 
It's like, how do I love them? Then comes number three. Why do I want to love them? Now, you have the situation in your life. You have somebody in your life who is a deceiver, yeah. and you want to be able to deal with them. It's the mother, yeah. It's the mother or your mother? Mine. What about her? Tell me about her. Uh, very similar to what I heard Terry saying. To the outside world, this woman appears to be the greatest, the nicest, the sweetest, the most wonderful person. But to the people inside the family, she is, yes, I'd never used that word before, a great deceiver. Um, so you know she can't be trusted, right? It, uh, I'm always on the cusp of that piece of ice in the iceberg. You know, I don't know. But you know your mother can't be trusted because you don't know. Mm. Because the ice could break through, right? Okay. Well said, yes. Right? So you know you cannot trust her. Therefore, you cannot put in her hands the power for her to have information that would hurt you if she found out or if she used it in some way against you. Then knowing this about her and saying that this is her illness... That this is the way she is. Can you love her anyway? And the answer is yes, but from a respectable distance. Never love her and expect the love to come back. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can love someone and not expect them to love you back, then that's a great act of love and you can do that. Now, very often people have elders who get sick. Mm -hmm. They forget who you are. They could have Alzheimer's or some other kind of disease where they don't even know who you are. Can you love them, even though they don't even know your name? Well, that might be predicated on past relationship with that person. So it could be That's you know, right. a different That's right. You've story. got a lot of wounds and you have a lot of anger. If I were you, I would go somewhere where I would explore that anger, find it, ferret it, get it out, get it into the open, not in front of your mother, mm -hmm. but just yourself. Pull it out, make yourself feel right. Because remember what I said, whenever there's anger, there's also shame and guilt. Some part of you feels responsible for this. Hmm. Some piece of you feels the shame and the guilt with it as well. And it's very confusing to figure out. That's why they invented my business. Because that's what we do. We help figure it out. And how do you care for someone like that? You know, on one hand, you can just say, okay, this person deceived and did so many dreadful things. I don't want to know about it. I want to forget about it. I want to cut it out. Just ignore. You, get, you, you make sure it's not hidden inside your own soul somewhere. Oh. That's what therapy is for. Say that again. I just want to really you take make it into sure my head. You make sure it's not hidden from your own view somewhere within your soul. And when you say it, what do you mean exactly you, by that? It? The information, the feelings that you have, they're not hidden. They're not being denied. The truth is being seen by you somewhere. Now, let me ask you this last question. Yes, How did your mother's behavior cost your relationship, you your relationship with your father? Actually, we were very close. Your father and you. Yes. That's right. You don't feel surprised by that answer? No, not at all. Of course not. Because if you were so close to your father, you had to be wary of your mother. She had to be jealous. But the funny thing is, she's the person who set up the situation. Of course she did. I, of course, of course, of course. But when, when you're somebody who is very close to one parent, you frequently feel guilt about the other person. Mm -hmm. You are a very wise man indeed. Because <laughs> you felt that, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So there are there are levels of this, Marie. I have to be going, but there are levels of this, as you could see, that you could peel away a little at a time, a little at a time, a little at a time. And that's what terrific inner voyaging is all about. That's where I believe therapy is worthwhile. Well, the key point here that, that I actually did write down is you make sure that there's no anger just hidden down in there. And with the anger goes shame and guilt. And yep. those are the things to be addressed. Keywords. Thank you very much Thank for calling you. in. Sure. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Sure, Marie. Two and a half millenniums ago, a prince named Siddhartha Gautama right, traveled to Budhagaya, India, and began to meditate underneath a tree. Forty-nine days of continuous meditation later, he became the Buddha, the enlightened one. He developed a thing called meditation. This is called meditation because he was quiet. He sat underneath a tree for nine days. They found that this very act of being able to go on the inside for nine days, to find some place inside yourself where you could let it go, becomes the science of mindfulness. What they found is that the more a person can find their inside, the more they can get on the inside, the more chance they have of being able to discover uh, their own self. But you got to get quiet in there somehow, friends. And if you can't get quiet, you don't know how to get quiet, you're going to have to eventually uh, ask for help. After meditating... No doubt the Buddha, who taught us a, a middle way between worldly and spiritual concerns, he would have had to agree that there's a time when you just got to look at the facts and put yourself aside because it's not all about peace and quiet. It's about finding the inner balance. This is Armand DeMille with you with The Positive Mind. We're going to continue with this theme tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to talk about hypervigilance and we're going to talk about recovery from, uh, from betrayal including rebuilding trust, isolating the times you talk about it, what it is to forgive your partner, and getting your partner who betrayed you to forgive you. Oh, my God. I want to say it again. Getting your partner who betrayed you to forgive you. That's what we'll talk about tomorrow. Take a look at that, Julian. Thanks for being with us once again. Thank you. There we go again, Julian Joyello. And we will be back with you tomorrow at 1 p.m. My friends, be sure to stay tuned and have fun in the snow outside. Everybody's talking about how dangerous it is. Whatever happened to the fun of the snow? You know, go get a piece of carpet. That's what we would do. We would get linoleum. We would find a piece of linoleum. You cut off a piece of linoleum and you go down a hill. Or a good old cardboard box. Or a cardboard box. Or a Frisbee, if you're small enough to fit in one. Back with you tomorrow, my friends. Oh, send me an email, would you, at armand at thepositivemind.com. Let me hear from you, armand at thepositivemind.com. Let me hear from you in your response to some of what we're doing.
help us with our recovery, go to WBAI.org and help us by joining the buddy system.